Our first Bible reading today is from the book of Numbers, chapter 16, verses 1 to 11. Korah, son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth, became insolent and rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourself above the Lord's assembly? When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah and all his followers, In the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy, and he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers and tomorrow put burning coals and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites have gone too far. Moses also said to Korah, Now listen, you Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself to do the work at the Lord's tabernacle? And to stand before the community and minister to them. He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself, but now you are trying to get the priesthood too. It is against the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? And our next reading is from Jude, verses 1 to 25. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. 
They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they've committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy, mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. At my um, house where I live, apparently there used to be a huge uh, peach tree that was so big and so healthy that they even had a uh, rope swing hanging off one of the branches. But then the house was rented out for a couple of years, not, not to me, by the way, but to someone else. And when they came back, the peach tree was dying. It had been poisoned. Now, I hate hearing stories like this of things that were good going bad, whether it's things like trees or much more serious things, like watching Af- Afghanistan go bad after so much hard work and, and sacrifice was just tragic. Watching America slowly get more and more divided is, is so painful. Watching something good going bad is awful. Today we're, we're looking at a, a little letter that's written by Jude and it's a call to people to step up to stop something good going bad. It's a call to not just sit back and, and watch it happen but to get in there and, and to change what's happening. Healthy churches are being poisoned. And so Jude writes this letter. We don't know a lot about Jude, who wrote this letter. In verse 1 he says, He's Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, and a brother of James. When you think about it, it's a bit of a strange way to introduce yourself. If I had have jumped up and said, Hi, I'm Stephen, a brother of Tim it wouldn't really give you all that much information, it wouldn't really tell you much about me. But probably this is the same Jude who was the brother of James, a well-known leader in the church in Jerusalem. 
And if that's the case, it means that he's also the half-brother of Jesus himself. And we might wonder why he just doesn't say that. Why doesn't he just say, I'm the half-brother of Jesus? But it's probably because that would have sounded like he's claiming they should listen to him based on being a relative of Jesus, as if that gives him some kind of special authority. You know, if, if someone knocked on your door later today and they said to you, hey, I'm Scott Morrison's brother and I just wanted to let you know that I'm putting your household into quarantine for two weeks, would you be happy to comply with that? Because I wouldn't be. Just being ScoMo's bro is not a qualification. What qualifies Jude to, to write this letter is, is not that he's Jesus' blood relative, but it's that he's his servant appointed to a certain task. Do you remember to begin with that none of Jesus' brothers even believed in him? It wasn't until after he, he had died and then appeared to them alive again after death that it changed completely how they thought about him. And after that, they became key people telling others about Jesus everywhere. So probably the author of this letter is Jude, the half-brother of James. Sorry, the full brother of James and the half-brother of Jesus. He's a bloke who's given his life to travelling around telling people about Jesus. And as we keep reading this letter, we, we see who it is he's writing to. Look at verse 1 and see who's addressed. He says, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Who are these people? Well, these things could describe absolutely any Christian, couldn't they? Called, loved by God, kept for Jesus. They're true for all Christians. And so this letter is probably actually Jude writing to a whole heap of churches where he's been involved and even churches where he hasn't been involved. And in some ways, it's a simple letter. There's three parts to it. Jude tells them what he wants them to do. He tells them why he wants them to do it. And then he tells them how he wants them to do it. So first, very early in the letter, he tells them what he wants them to do. Look at verse 3. He writes, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share... In other words, he wanted to write a bigger picture kind of letter like the book of Hebrews or like the book of Romans. But instead, there was something far more urgent. And so he says, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. What he wants them to do is contend for the faith. He's asking them to exert intense effort for something he's asking them to struggle for a cause and the, the cause that they're to contend for he says is the faith but notice how he puts it he urges them to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to them it's not their personal faith or their version of their, their faith that they're to contend for the idea is that they've had passed on to them the key central truths of what it means to follow Jesus and they could deepen their understanding of those truths that was the letter that Jude wanted to write them they could go deeper but they could never move on from these truths or outgrow them or soften them or modernize them instead Jude tells them they needed to fight for them contend for them 
Now, most of us are not super keen for this, I don't reckon. In fact, I'd be worried about us if we were super keen for this. You know, occasionally you do come across contentious people. They love a good argument. But what you find is that they're not really contending for the faith. They're actually just contentious about everything, these kind of people. (laughs) Most of us aren't like that. Most of us don't like to rock the boat. We prefer things to keep things comfortable and easy. And if something needs to be said or to be done, we'd prefer someone else to do it. But Jude tells these Christians, all of them, they need to contend for the faith as it was originally entrusted to them. Okay, so, so that's what Jude wants them to do. It's, it's the basic message of the letter. But most of the content, you probably noticed as it was being read by Bethany before, most of the content of the letter is why they need to do this. Most of the letter is about trying to get them to, to feel the, the weight of the threat that they're facing. Look at verse 4 again. He writes, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. Why he wants them to contend for the faith is because ungodly people have slipped in. They've been infiltrated by people who aren't on the same page as them and they don't even seem to realise it. A couple of years ago, I think it was, my, my kids started playing this game on the phone called Among Us. Has anyone played it before? Oh, that's a bit of an age cap there. Anyway, <laughs> basically, you're in a spaceship, right? And some of the crew are just normal team members, team-minded people. They're just trying to keep the spacecraft going. But some of the crew are psychopaths trying to kill everyone else. It's a great game for kids. And then in the game, you you take a vote as to, you know, every so often, as to who you're going to throw overboard out of the spaceship. And most of the time, you're you're just guessing who is the imposter. You've got no real idea. But sometimes you know for a fact that they're the imposter because you saw them kill one of your crew members. And in that case, it's not hard to identify them. It's hard to get the rest of the crew to side with you, to believe you, and to do something about it. For most of this letter, Jude is telling them why they need to wake up and contend for the faith. And it's because they've been infiltrated by imposters. And he tells them exactly how they can identify them in verse 4. He says, they are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Jude says you can recognise them by how they live. Because these imposters, what they've done is they've heard the truth that we'll never be good enough for God on our own. They've heard that it's, it's only because of God's mercy, His grace, that we can be freely forgiven by God. And they've heard that all we need to do is accept this forgiveness from God as a free gift and that will make us His children. So they hear that, which is all completely true, all of it. But then they twist things. What they don't want to hear is that being God's children means that we give up living for ourselves and we now live for Jesus as our only sovereign and Lord. We now deny ourselves 
and live for him. But these people, they take the grace of God and they say, if all is freely forgiven, that means I have a license to do whatever I want. Now, just let me clarify something that's really important to get here. Jude isn't talking about people who aren't Christian who are among us. He isn't talking about people who are at church, who are not sure where they're at with Jesus, who are just checking things out. (laughs) If that's you, Jude is not talking about you at all. He's talking about people who claim to be Christians. Maybe people who think they are Christians. People that everyone else thinks are Christians. People possibly who are even leaders. Community group leaders, youth group leaders, ministry team leaders, pastors even. This is like someone who has used their company credit card a bit too much over Christmas for their own personal stuff and they've racked up a debt of $30,000. I don't know how they've done it. A lot of turkey. And it's like their boss has found out and and calls them into the office on um, January 3 tomorrow. But for some reason decides to show them unbelievable grace. She pays their debt out of her own personal account and doesn't even require them to pay it back. She says, look, just from now on, I want you to be loyal to the company. I want you to do the right thing and, and be focused on the job. But this person walks out of the office and thinks, awesome. If she's happy to pay my debt, let's go shopping. See, that's not a simple misunderstanding. That's a deliberate twisting of grace. And that's what these people are doing. They're thinking, awesome. If Jesus will forgive me, I want to follow Jesus. But their lives say something completely different. They don't want to follow Jesus. Did you notice, as as the letter was read before, that nowhere does Jude say that these people, nowhere does he go after their teaching as if they're teaching something wrong. His issue with them isn't some technical theological debate. That's not his issue. The threat here that Jude is pointing out, it's more basic than that. Their lives are denying Jesus as their only sovereign and Lord because they show that they don't really care about living with Jesus as their only sovereign and Lord. And so Jude says, look at how people live And you can see if they're imposters or not. This is a common theme in the Bible, isn't it? Uh, Jude says it, Paul says it, Jesus says it. You can tell what a Christian really believes, not by what they say they believe, but by how they really live. You can tell what you really believe by how you really live. When it comes down to it, who calls the shots for you? You or your only sovereign, Jesus? When there's a clash between what you want and what Jesus wants, who wins in that fight? Do you fight the tiring battle against what you want so that you can live out what Jesus wants? Or do you not fight? You just give in to what you want, alter what you believe, what you think, so that what you want conveniently becomes what Jesus really wanted for you all along. You can tell what a Christian really believes, not by what they say they believe, but by how they really live. 
Do they struggle against their own sin? Then they really believe Jesus is Lord. Or do they embrace their own sin, love it, promote it? Well, then they don't really believe Jesus is Lord. As we keep reading this letter, we see that this is exactly what the imposters are doing. Embracing their own sin, loving it and promoting it. Look at verse 5. They're compared to some of God's people that he he saved out of Egypt who then grumbled against him. Or in verse 6, they're compared to angels who rebelled against the privileged place that God had given them. And in verse 7, they're compared to Sodom and Gomorrah that embraced sexual immorality without any qualms whatsoever and in verse 8 we we probably get the clearest description of what these people were doing Jude writes on the strength of their dreams these ungodly people pollute their own bodies reject authority and heap abuse on celestial beings it's still hard to know exactly what they're doing from this but we, we can see from this that rather than contend for the faith as it was originally given them, they're guided by something else, by their dreams, on the strength of their own spiritual experiences, that they'll go against God's word. They'll go against God's commands about sexual purity. And they'll contend against those who are trying to contend for the faith as it was originally given. They speak spiritual nonsense about good angels and bad angels and who knows what else and they end up slandering things that they don't actually understand and what they do understand is not spiritual things at all but the stuff of natural appetites and natural instincts and they're quite happy to slap a spiritual label on polluted things to justify what they want. As you read through this letter, it's clear that one of the main things that these people seem to be doing is justifying sex outside of God's design for sex. I mean, God says sex is a powerful, pure gift for a man and a woman in marriage, in lifelong marriage. But these people, they find ways to say, yeah, yeah, it is, it is powerful and, and pure, for sure. It's a gift from God, but it's not just marriage it's not just for a man and a woman in marriage we've moved on from that we know God's not repressive he's made us sexual beings we shouldn't just get hung up about it and they might even say God has taken me on a journey through life where I've had to discover this I used to be like you but now I see that as long as there's respect and consent God blesses all kinds of sexual relationships, whatever they are. Now, that sounds very much like a modern way of thinking, doesn't it? But it's not a modern way of thinking at all. It's exactly the same kind of thinking that we see in Jude and in almost every letter in the New Testament. You know, whenever you hear people say something like this, we need to move with the Spirit. We need to move with the Spirit where the Spirit is leading us in this age. What we should hear is we should hear Jude saying to us, you need to wake up and listen carefully to what they say next. Because where the Spirit actually leads you is to stand unmoved in Jesus. The Spirit 
leads us to never move on from the truths that Jesus has entrusted for us once for all time. But it's very easy for imposters to couch their own desires or our culture's desires in the language of spirituality. We need to decide whether we're going to build our lives on the strength of human desires and longings or on the strength of God, which he says is shown by Jesus dying on the cross to purify a people who are zealous for him. Now, you would have noticed in this letter that Jude doesn't really hold back. Reject God and and then try and mislead others to reject God too, all the while being led claiming to be led by God, that's extremely dangerous ground to be standing on. But it makes sense. I mean, if someone tries to sell one of my kids ice, I'm going to be pretty annoyed. But if it's one of their teachers or their youth group leaders, I'm going to be livid. Of course God is angry about this. But the nature of these imposters is in order for them to do what they want, they, they need others to join them. And so they drag them down with them. Look at verse 11. Jude puts them on the same par as Cain, who dragged humanity into a new chapter of murder. He puts them on the same par as Balaam, who dragged God's people into a new chapter of sexual immorality. And he puts them on the same par as Korah, who we heard about in the first reading, who dragged God's people into rejecting God's leaders and God's way of worshipping him. And Jude says their fate, in verse 7, is to suffer the punishment of eternal fire. This is serious. Jude is so serious about this because imposters can do such serious damage to God's people cost them their salvation and yes we know jesus forgives all sins past present and future for whoever calls on him as lord but if we start saying it doesn't really matter what jesus wants sin doesn't really matter then actually we're in danger of not calling on jesus as lord but denying him as lord and we're in danger of causing other people to do the same thing Now, if you know Jude and you know your Bible well, you probably notice that he does something a little bit unusual at this point. He's been gathering all these Old Testament references to to show his point, which we've been seeing. But then he grabs something that's not in the Bible to prove his point. Did you notice that? And you kind of think, hang on a minute, is this Jude himself moving on past God's Word? Because what he does is he quotes a, a, a book that would have been very familiar to them, the book of Enoch, but it's not in the Bible. We find this a bit of a strange thing to do. But for them, they're very familiar with this book. Uh, And like Paul quotes Greek poets and Greek philosophers, he even calls them prophets at times, Jude is doing a similar thing with this book. He's not saying it's scripture, but he's saying that what this contains in it agrees with scripture. Have a look at, at what it says. In verse 14, it says, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them all of all the ungodly acts they've committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. His point is, 
those who deny Jesus and who try to tell others it's fine to do the same, they're actually speaking defiant words against God and God will come and judge them for it. I told uh, this week one of my kids that I was preaching through Jude and I told him it's a bit of a tricky book. And uh, the next day they came down and said, I read Jude last night, it's not tricky, it's simple. It's like, well, you preach it, then fine. (laughs) They said, it's just saying that some bad people had got into their church. Now, they're quite right, actually. That captures most of of the letter. And the way Jude talks about it, you you could draw the conclusion that it's just simple to spot these people. And in some ways it is, like we've heard, their lives show they're defiant to Jesus. But what's not simple is to contend against that. It's not like these people that Jude is describing all look like Cruella de Vil. They look a a lot more like me. They're very happily among us. They're even described as shepherds by Jude. They're not necessarily all that easy to spot. And they cause God's people to be divided because some people might recognize them as imposters, but a whole heap of other people think they're great. And so Jude is, is telling the people he's writing to, and to us, we need to wake up and we need to contend for the faith that was entrusted to us because turning a blind eye to imposters is just so devastating to God's people. And so the question is, how do we do it? How do we contend for the faith? In the, in the game Among Us, what you do in, in, in that game You contend for the spaceship by taking a vote and then tossing people out. And what you usually discover is that you got the wrong person and the imposter is still there among you. For a really badly animated game, it's quite terrifying still. But look at the way that Jude tells us where to contend for the faith. I reckon it's surprising. Look at verse 20. He says, But you, dear friends... By building yourselves up in, the, in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus to bring you eternal life. Jude says, keep yourselves in God's love. The way to contend for the faith is by keeping ourselves in God's love. It's not by going on some witch hunt or some vigilante The way to contend for the faith is to grow stronger and stronger, built up and more built up in the true faith. And did you see how we're to do that? We're to build ourselves up in our faith in verse 20, pray in the Spirit and wait for Jesus to bring us eternal life. And we automatically think this is individualistic. You know, I've got to build me up. That's not what he's saying. He's he's saying, build yourselves up. This takes a community to do this. As a community builds itself up strong in the true faith, each and every part of it contends for the faith. There's no secret police or interrogation or spying. The way to contend for the faith is by helping each other live and breathe true grace and true surrender to Jesus. We contend for the faith as we help each other live in God's love, breathe God's love, surrender to God's love. That's the way you contend for the faith. 
That's what will protect us from imposters. And notice here, it's not just leaders who are to do this. It's all of the community helping each other to be kept in God's love. Everyone knowing God's grace deeply. Everyone knowing Jesus' lordship truly. So that everyone instinctively recognises when people are going against grace or against Jesus' lordship. And everyone instinctively recognises to do that is to cut yourself off from the love of God. Do you see here how it's really clear that Jude is not telling us to be like the secret police just waiting to pounce on people. It's not like that at all. In fact, look at what it does mean when we find people who are struggling. Look at verse 22 again. He says, Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. When we find people doubting the truths that they've been entrusted and starting to believe imposters, what are we to do? Show mercy. When we find people starting down the path of the imposters, playing with fire, what are we to do? Snatch them from the fire. And when we find people well on the way of the path of the imposters, rolling in their mess even, what are we to do? Show mercy. There's mercy at the heart of these things here. But notice, it's mercy mixed with fear. If you have just fear and you have no mercy, what do you do? Well, you just want to cut people off. You keep everyone safe by getting rid of the bad eggs and soon enough there's no eggs left. And that's not what Jude is saying at all. But if you have just mercy without fear, then what you want to do is just keep people happy. But you risk taking sin too lightly and letting the corruption spread to others and to yourself. Contending for the faith means that we need to hold mercy and fear together. We love people but we hate what sin does to people. And so we mercifully, fearfully do whatever we can to help people keep in God's love. And that's the letter of Jude in a nutshell. And don't you reckon it'd be nice if we could just look at this letter and go, oh, that's, that was interesting for them. But the truth is, we actually need to contend for the faith just as much today as they did back then. Every age has a, a new set of waves that roll, that roll in. And Jude says to us here, if we're not helping build each other up in the faith, praying in the Spirit, helping each other wait for Jesus, then we're not contending for the faith. Jude says that if we see people doubting the way that's been entrusted to them or having started playing with fire, or having gone well down that way, if we see them and then turn away and leave them to it, or leave it to someone else to do something, we're not contending for the faith. This is our first Sunday of the year, of a new year. And I want to encourage you, before this this year gets fully into swing, how are you going to make this a year that you contend for the faith? 
for you, for your kids if you have them? How are you going to do that? How well do you know the, the faith that you've been entrusted with? Are you daily in, in prayer, daily reading God's word so that you intuitively, instinctively know when grace is being perverted or when Jesus' lordship is being denied? How are you going to daily this year be in God's word and in prayer so that you, you know when there's an imposter? And how are you going to help keep others in God's love this year? How are you going to look to, to build others up? Are you in a community group or a prayer group or something like that where you can really help a smaller bunch of people stay in God's love? Jude is a bit of a daunting book. It's a bit of a daunting way to start the new year, really. And it can be a bit overwhelming uh, as you read it. Which is why it's helpful to notice how Jude begins and how he ends this letter. In verse 3 he says, we are kept by God for Jesus. That's what he says at the start. And yes, he says we're to keep ourselves in God's love in verse 21. But look at how Jude ends in verse 24. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forever. Amen. We contend for the faith. We take the threats against it seriously. And so we build each other up in the faith. We pray in the Spirit. We wait for Jesus. We show mercy mixed with fear to those caught in sin. And yet we do it all fully aware that this is actually how God is doing his work among us. In the end, it's God who keeps us for Jesus right to the end. Let's pray. Father, we don't find it comfortable to think about these things and in many ways we wish Jude had written a different kind of letter, the first kind of letter that he intended to write. And yet, Lord, we pray that you would help us to see just how important it is that we contend for the faith. Lord, we thank you that it it is actually such a positive thing to contend for the faith, that it's about building each other up to know you better, to know what you've done in Jesus more truly so that we can recognise counterfeits We pray, Lord, that you would move in us, do your work in us, to keep us in your love. Lord, help us to do the work that you prompt us in each other's lives, urging each other, praying for each other, encouraging each other to live for Jesus and his return. Lord, we pray for those of us uh, who are caught up in in sin, believing the lie that we don't really need to follow your word, we don't really need to follow Jesus. Lord, help us to see the counterfeit truth that that is, the fake that it is, the danger that it is as well, that this kind of rejection of you takes us on a path that cuts us off from your love. Lord, help us to be a community of mercy that takes sin seriously, that helps point each other back to the love that you have for us in Jesus our Lord. We pray in his name. Amen.